have a testimony of something that just happened while we were praying? Does anybody feel like something was healed in your body? Something changed in your spirit or your soul? Anybody have something they can test out that you could say, yeah? You know, I had this, uh, (laughs) I was thinking during worship of a time, a few weeks ago, we were right in the middle of worship, and it was so, uh, so sweet, just the atmosphere was so sweet, and the kids were still in, so my daughter was up here worshiping with me, and I was just like using the time, I was worshiping Jesus, but I was just like making these sweet declarations over her, just saying who she was, and you know, just sometimes you just need to like prophesy over your kids, so I was just like having this moment with her, and uh, and she she reaches up and she starts, you know, you know how kids get real sweet? And she's like pulling my face really close. And she says, how old are you? <laughs> and I thought, well, God, how many times have I been like that with you? that I come before him and he's releasing all of this amazing goodness in my life and I'm just so distracted and so like have my mind on something else that it's like, what? Uh, like I was like all prepared. I thought it was going to be this amazing, sweet moment. How old are you? Great. I'm glad you got that kid, you know, like this was a moment. And I just wanted to share that with you to remind you, you know, sometimes the Lord is speaking things over you. Actually, he's always speaking. Uh, God is always speaking. And if we tune our hearts into him, we can hear that. But sometimes that requires us to like, like dump our brain of all of the things that are on our mind. Like, how old are you? Or whatever else comes into your mind when you're trying to still yourself before the Lord. Uh, Sometimes it just takes a minute to just get rid of all of the distractions. And This morning we're going to talk about rest. I believe the Lord wants to renew and refresh and restore hearts with a reminder of who you are and with the power of rest. And I believe that this has been a year of equipping for the church. And every time, the the last two times that I've spoken this year, uh, we've just kind of highlighted weapons that are available to God's people for us to use in our everyday life. Uh, Because the, the word of God says that our weapons are not carnal. So we're not talking about a sword or our guns. I know a lot of you in here like your guns, uh, but those aren't the kind of weapons that are going to help us in our everyday walk with Jesus. But the good news is, is that God has equipped his people with so many things. Uh, so we've talked about the power of communion, uh, that communion is like a weapon. You can catch that uh, on our podcast. We've talked about worship and praise as a weapon. Our, our thankfulness is a weapon. And today we're going to talk about rest because rest can be a weapon for God's people. And that sounds really bizarre because it is so counterculture. It is not what we're used to. There are zero people in our world telling us to slow down and rest. In fact, it's usually the opposite. It's usually do more, hurry, be more, and earn your way. And if we're not careful, we can get sucked into our culture and we can just be hustlers, right? Like that's like, that's like a a pop culture word right now is you hustle. 
right? And that sounds awesome because I want to hustle. Like I want to get it done. I want to I want to be accomplishing things, right? But sometimes we need to forget, or like we need to like say, no, actually, I don't need to be in a hurry. Sometimes we need to learn how to slow ourselves down. Listen to the definition of rest. A refreshing quiet. Refreshing ease. Inactivity. If you want to take it as a verb, it would be to refresh oneself. To relieve weariness by stopping. I mean, dictionary.com, have you ever looked up dictionary.com and then they give you more words that you have to look up in the definition? Because really it's, it's like to relieve weariness by the cessation of exerting oneself. But in other words, by stopping. Rest. Now, when I'm reading that definition, the, that very thing seems really wrong. Does it not? And it seems almost unattainable, especially if you have kids, you're like, I don't even know. I don't, I don't know, I don't know what inactivity looks like. (laughs) My house is buzzing all the time, even at five in the morning. Yeah, we were feeling that this morning. To relieve weariness by stopping. See, rest is more powerful than we give credit to. Because rest isn't cool in our world, but in the kingdom of God, we encounter Jesus in rest. We fight from rest. We're restored in rest. So we're going to look at several passages of scripture and just say, what does rest look like and how do we even get there? So I'm going to turn to Luke chapter 10. I'm going to start in verse 38. This is a story about two sisters named Mary and Martha. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their journey, they came to a village where a woman welcomed Jesus into her home. Her name was Martha, and she had a sister named Mary. Mary sat down attentively before the master, absorbing every revelation he shared. But Martha became exasperated by finishing the numerous household chores in preparation for her guests. So she interrupted Jesus and said, Lord, don't you think it's unfair that my sister left me to do all the work myself? You should tell her to get up and help me. So let's pause right there. How many of you have siblings in the house, right? Have you ever had this go down? You know, like you should tell her that she's doing it wrong. Because this is not fair. How many of you are raising kids? How many have you heard that like today? It's not fair. All right. So that's basically Martha is like, I am doing everything by myself. And my sister is just sitting in here doing nothing. Can you please tell her to get up and do what she should do? And the Lord answered her, Martha, my beloved Martha. Why are you so upset and troubled, pulled away by all these many distractions? 
are they really that important? Mary has discovered the one thing most important by choosing to sit at my feet. She is undistracted, and I won't take this privilege from her. I love this story. See, sometimes in our lives, we can get so worried about hosting Jesus that we don't encounter Jesus. You know, John has been talking the last couple of weeks in Philippians about like, does, does all of our works really get you to a better place with Jesus? Does Jesus like you more because you read the Bible? No. You should read the Bible. It's a weapon. But see, sometimes we can get caught up in this Martha attitude where we're so worried about hosting Jesus that we never take time to encounter him. Right? So you come into a worship service and the wor- it has to be the right song. You know, we all have our favorites. And you're like, well, if they sing that song, then I know Jesus is going to show up. Like, you might be a Pharisee if, you know, that's, that's a Martha, that's, that's, I've got to host the presence. Like, we have to have drums. That's what makes Jesus show up in a church gathering in the middle of worship, right? I mean, now listen, I am a fan of the drums, and if any of you play the drums, we are looking for a drummer. I'll just throw that out there right now. We would love to add some drummers. <laughs> but the thing about it is, is sometimes we worry so much about like, oh, well, ah. Oh, Yeah, I really want to spend time with the Lord, but then there's like this thing, and I haven't been reading my Bible, so I need to do all of these things so that I can hear from God, so that I can meet with God. See, that is trying to host Jesus, because Martha is in a tizzy. I mean, I don't blame the woman. Jesus is coming to her house, you know? And if you've ever had guests over, you know hosting is way different than hanging, You know, if, if you're coming over at a scheduled time to my house, it's going to look one way because I'm hosting you and I clean everything and I make sure there's not any toy tornadoes all over the place because I am hosting people. If you show up at my house unannounced, which is totally fine, by the way, and we're just hanging, it might be different. And we can approach Jesus that same way, the same way that Martha did. Martha had the Son of God. The Messiah is in her house, and all she's doing is cleaning and cooking. And you know what? When you are in a hurry and when all you are worried about is hosting, you will be irritable. And you will be very aware of what everyone else is not doing. I mean, like, if you just need, if you just need, like, a temperature check right now, just think about your, like, attitude. Are you irritable with everyone around you and very aware of all the things they're not doing? Have you actually sat down with Jesus? Or are you distracted by the many things? And I love this. I mean, this is, like, such a gentle correction, but it's kind of like, ouch. Why are you upset and troubled? 
pulled away by all these many distractions, are they really that important? If the Son of God is in your house, does it matter if the baseboards are clean? I mean, are the guests really noticing that? I mean, some guests probably do. (laughs) I won't name any names in here. It's fine if you check my baseboards. They're probably not as clean as they should be. But, you know, for all the times that I've hosted people in my house and had small groups in my house, Sarah Meisner's never come in one time on a Friday and been like, wow, Ashley, you didn't get the floors done today. Maybe you're thinking it. I don't, I don't think you are, though. Right? Because we're coming in. We're digging into the Word of God together. We're praying. And somehow, all of those many distractions don't really matter anymore. See, Mary had plugged into something. Jesus walks in the house and she stops. Do you remember the definition of rest? Stopping. Inactivity. Mary stops what she's doing and she sits attentively at the feet of Jesus. She is looking at him. She is encountering him. It says she chose the better part in one translation. And I like that. That's that's something I use in my life all the time when I'm coming to things. Am I choosing the better part right now? So that's something you can just use in your life of like, uh, I need to go shopping and I need to do this thing. What's the better part? Because a lot of times, some of the activity that we're filling our lives with are not really that important. And it it would do us well to just assess that sometimes. Because we don't want to get caught up like Martha, just in a hurry and busy and and approach our Christianity the same way. So, like, that's what our culture is, right? We're always hustling, we're busy, we're all of these things, and then we feel the need for perfection, we want it to look good, and then we we carry that into our relationship with Jesus. And so so then it can be like, I'm going to meet with Jesus, but, like, I sit on this couch, and there's laundry on the couch, so I need to fold the laundry so that I can sit on the couch so that I can be undistracted. And then when I do that, I'm going to remember that I needed to start the other load, and then I'm going to do this, and I should vacuum that floor in case I want to lay down while I'm soaking. And see, you can, you can get to the point where you're so distracted that you're not choosing the better part, where I'm just worried about hosting the presence of Jesus, but I'm never actually ceasing my activity to... To just be with him. We have to, to learn to stop striving because we encounter Jesus in rest. When we stop and when we gaze on Jesus, then we encounter him. We take time to actually hear what he's saying. We know what he's doing. And maybe you're saying like, yeah, that's great. But you have, you have no idea what my life is like. You have no idea what I'm facing. You have no idea what I'm fighting. You don't know what it's like. And if I stop, it's just too much. But there's good news for you because you fight from a place of rest. See, rest actually becomes a weapon for you.
Because like Martha, when we're not resting, when we're caught up in the hustle and, and the busyness, we're distracted. We're irritable. We're looking at other people. We're, we're, we're beginning to point out their shortcomings and sometimes even telling Jesus about them. Hey, could you, I, like, have you ever done this with your spouse? Jesus, if you could just tell John. Like, he is not doing this. So could you tell him, right? And so if you're acting like that, see, that's working against you. But when you're in a place of rest, like Mary was zero worried. How much worry did Mary have? Zero. Because she was encountering Jesus. She didn't care what Martha was doing. She didn't care that there were preparations still to be made because she was resting. She was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And so it becomes a weapon. And we get to fight from a place of rest too, which is really good because I really believe that Jesus overall in the church as a whole, capital C Church, wants to unravel his people so much where we become just at rest. He wants to unravel the striving of the church. We have strived for far too long to make Christianity a show and about perfection and about being like this thing that we think it's supposed to look like. And it's just not that. But there's this, there's this story in the Bible that I absolutely love that's like such a beautiful picture of fighting from rest. It's, it's an account of Joshua. And Joshua is the apprentice to Moses. And Moses tells him, you're going to go fight the Amalekites. So get your sword and get your army and go fight. So Joshua is a warrior. He's trained with his sword. He gets down to battle and Moses climbs up on the hill. Battle's happening kind of down in the valley and Moses is up on a hill. And here's what's happening. Moses raises his hands up and as long as his hands are up, Joshua is winning. But when Moses' arms start to get tired and he puts them down, Joshua starts losing. I think about like how disheartening that is as a warrior. You know, like you, you know, like Moses, get your hands up, man. See, the thing about Joshua's victory is it was only dependent on Moses's arms, not on his skill, not on his ability to fight, not on his army, not on what he was doing. It was all on Moses. Now he had to obey the order. He was down there fighting, but ultimately his winning or losing was only dependent on Moses and his arms being up on the hill. And now if you fast forward thousands of years later, there's a man who came to redeem all of humanity, who went up a hill and stretched out his hands. So that we could have victory. Because Jesus paid for it. The man's name is Jesus. He paid for my healing. His hands were up. And when I realize that, when I realize that Jesus has already 
paid for it, then my fight comes from a place of rest because I go, my victory isn't about me. It's not about how amazing I am. It's not about how well I know scripture. It's not about because I did everything right and I I attended church. See, I rest and my striving ceases because my victory is completely dependent on the work of the cross and nothing more. Jesus did it for me. Jesus did it for you. And so whatever you're facing in your life right now, you can fight from a place of rest. See, rest becomes your weapon because you're not in a tizzy spending all your energy facing the mountain. It's like, it's like staring at the mountain and you're only staring at the mountain. Well, what are your thoughts consumed with? The mountain and how bad everything is. What if your eyes are lifted to Jesus who died on the mountain with his arms outstretched to pay for the mountain that is in front of you. And you remember that. See, suddenly there's rest that washes over you when you go, Jesus did it. He did it. I'm going to keep pressing in for it. I think that's the power of the story of Joshua, man. He he kept fighting. I mean, I kind of just be like, okay, like, really? What is the point of all this? He was still skilled with his sword. He still had a job to do. But he just did it where his victory wasn't dependent on him. And that's how we can approach the things in our life is going, I'm going to know my word and I'm going to use that as a weapon. But I'm going to rest in the finished work of Jesus, knowing that he's paid for this thing in front of me. And I'm going to keep pressing into it and I'm going to keep speaking to it and I'm going to keep praying and I'm going to keep worshiping and I'm going to keep remembering. But not in an effort to force something to happen out of my own will. We fight from rest. And lastly, we're restored in rest. When you rest, you're restored. I mean, like, even just physically, think about this. When you sleep, it's restoring your physical body, your body. Anybody um, been struggling with sleep? Yeah. You, and you're like not feeling refreshed and restored. <laughs> right? My dad just had a knee replacement. He didn't like sleep hardly at all the first night. And that's like a train wreck, you know, when you're in pain and you're just up and down and up and down and up and down and not sleeping because our bodies were made for rest. But your soul and your spirit was too. So we have to have a rest, and we are restored in our rest. I want to read a passage of scripture to you. It's kind of obscure. It's in Ezekiel. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel. Do you ever, like, have to remember all of the, all of the books of the Bible so you can find the, the Old Testament ones? All right. All right, so what this is, is that Ezekiel was a, a, a prophet of the Lord. And what? Oh, sorry. Ezekiel 36. And God gives Ezekiel a prophecy for the restoration of Israel. Because basically God's people have been removed from their land 
and the land of Israel has been decimated. It has been destroyed. The cities have been torn down. The farmland is desolate. There is nothing. It is atrocious. And so God is moved by this and says, no, I'm, I'm going to change this. So Ezekiel 36, really the whole chapter is amazing. It's really interesting. You should read the whole thing. It's really beautiful. But I'm going to pick up in, uh, chap- in verse 33. This is what the sovereign Lord says. When I cleanse you from your sins, I will repopulate your cities and the ruins will be rebuilt. The fields that used to lie empty and desolate in plain view of everyone will again be farmed. And when I bring you back, people will say, the former wasteland is now like the Garden of Eden. The abandoned and ruined cities now have strong walls and are filled with people. Then the surrounding nations that survive will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruins and replanted the wasteland. For I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do what I say. NIV says, I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. See, now there's something about restoration in this. Did you notice? God is saying, I will bring back the people. I will repopulate the cities. I will replant the farmland. I will rebuild the ancient ruins. I have spoken and I will do it. Now, have you ever noticed that the thing that's being restored is never doing any of the work? Think about this. Like, think about an old piece of furniture. Didn't you just, you did a table recently, right? Restored a table. All right, so you think about like a, an old piece of furniture or like original hardwood floors. Like you get into an old house with nasty, grungy carpet, you know, like shag that's disgusting. And you're like, this has to go. And you rip it up and underneath there's a treasure. Original hardwood floors but they look terrible. But somebody with the right eye, an owner, can look at that and say, there's beauty there. It just needs a little bit of work. The bones are good. So you begin to scrape that thing. You begin to sand that stuff. You refinish it and you restore the hardwood floors and they are amazing. They are beautiful. The hardwood floors did zero work to be restored. They just sat there. While the owner did all of the work, all of the sanding, all of the scrubbing, all of the staining. And then they were restored. And see, I think sometimes we, we can get so tired, we're in the hurry, all of those things that we know we need to be restored. So we're like, I am going to make this a magic formula. I'm going to work really hard on myself. And I'm going to do all the things so then, Jesus, you can come and restore me. See, that's still hosting Jesus. That's not encountering Jesus. Real restoration happens when I do nothing. When I surrender to the Lord and I come before him and I sit and I let him do the work. Restoration happens when Jesus, 
your creator looks at you and sees beyond what everyone else is seeing and saying, there's beauty under that. It just needs a little work. And the restoration happens as we come and as we sit under Jesus, our master, and allow him to do the work. We rest. And in our rest, we're restored. So my job is to only just be. To surrender. To allow God to do his work. And that's why rest becomes a weapon for us. Because it's in our rest and in our stopping of all of the busy things that we encounter the heart of God. It's in rest where I'm fighting for something but not being worked up and exhausting myself. It's in rest where I'm sitting before the Lord and being restored because Jesus is the only one sometimes who can see below the surface to what's really there and bring it out. All it has to do is sit there. And so this morning, I just, I, I want to just put that out there for you guys to just say, what would it, what would it look like if we were a counterculture people? What would it look like if we stopped and rested? And I'm not talking about like, go be a monk and quit your job and don't feed your kids or your husband. I mean, like, okay, let's be realistic. I mean, this all sounds good, right? But how does this play out in my real life? Start looking for areas where you can choose the better part. Where do you have time that you're doing something that's not that important? And you might have to allow Jesus to tell you what's not that important. And then choose that moment to say, I'm going to spend some time with the Lord. What does it look like for you to actually stop and just be with Jesus intentionally. I'm not talking like Caleb and the radio while we're running the kids. Like that can be, that can be awesome, right? I mean, I'm thankful for Christian music, Christian radio stations, worship, all of those things. But, but it was never meant to just be like a multitasking thing. My time with Jesus can't just be when I'm putting my makeup on. But sometimes we act like that. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I'll just put on this worship while I'm getting ready. I'm so busy. Oh, audio Bible is amazing. I'll just listen to the Bible while I'm getting ready. I got a shower speaker. I'm just going to listen to worship while I'm in the shower. All of those things, are they good? Yes, they're good. Is that rest and really being with Jesus undistracted? No. It's not. It's hard to make time if your life is busy. I get it. I have one day a week. I'm coming back to it because I got off my schedule and then I was just like, I'll just be with Jesus whenever. And I just do better on a rhythm. 
So I just take one day a week where I know I'm setting aside these couple hours. I'm not answering your phone calls. I'm not coming into the office. I, you know what I do? I just like sit. It's, it's super boring. This is what I do. Sometimes just in silence. I just lay on the floor or I sit on the couch for like an hour. And I just say, Holy Spirit, come. What do you want to do today? Usually I start with some scripture and I just meditate on it. I read it slow. It's like, like I read a scripture and then I just read it again and then I think about it and I read it again and I just let it like absorb into me and then I just sit. And I just say, God, clear my heart. What, what's there that doesn't need to be there? Because I've been so rushing around like, oh yeah, I forgot. I'm really mad at that person. <laughs> Or that person hurt. Oh, I forgot about that thing that hurt. But see, when you start getting still, those are the things that come up. And then you can clear your heart. You forgive. You repent. You realign yourself in rest. If you're going to try to start resting and doing nothing with Jesus, you should have a notepad present. Because if you're like me, the moment I start practicing silence, I remember 47 things that need to be done. Like, oh, I didn't text you back. And all of you could raise your hand and be like, that would be me. Um, You know, I forgot to call this. Oh, I need to drop money off at the school for this. And I need to do this. And I need to do that. I just keep a notepad handy and I write down all of the things as they come to just release my mind to say, no, I'm refusing. That's not my better part right now. See, sometimes you have to honestly evaluate. Like, you can call somebody in an hour. It's going to be fine. If your phone goes off, you don't have to text them back right that second. Like, your social media will be just fine if you don't check it for two hours. But we live so connected and so instantly available to every person that we have actually not made ourselves available to the one person that matters most. And it's God. And as his people, if we can come before him and rest and allow him to work in our hearts, allow him to speak to us, allow him to restore us, allow him to walk us through repentance and forgiveness and all of those things that make my heart so muddy, then we start becoming the church that we were designed to be. Rest is a weapon for you. So my challenge is start figuring out how to do it. It might be, it might be like one, one time a week where you're just saying, I'm going to rest. I'm going to figure out what this means. I'm going to try silence. I'm going to try to, I'll listen to worship music, but I'm going to be fully present with the Lord, not doing anything else except for worshiping. I'm going to read my Bible and just read it. And allow it to minister to me, not just read it to check it off.
I believe this is something that the Lord is doing. He's bringing his church back to it. And I believe that our culture is actually really hungry for it. Because when you meet somebody that's not in a hurry, it's refreshing. Have you ever met somebody who's not in a hurry? Talk to him on the phone. I gotta go. Glad you don't. <laughs> it's refreshing. It's refreshing to sit down with people and have their full attention. It's refreshing to the grocery store cashier to have you be fully present with them, staring them at the, in the eyes, saying their name and thanking them for their service that day instead of being on your phone. It's refreshing for the grocery store clerk to see someone who's not looking at their watch 47 times because the person in front of you can't get their life together and they choose every item in the store that doesn't have a barcode. If you're not in a hurry, it is a personal testimony. Every time I go to the store, this is the joke now. If John goes to the store with me, he's like, which line would you choose? And I'll be like, five. He's like, let's go to seven. It doesn't matter. If you go to Sam's with me, just be prepared. Just know, right? Just know, if I pick the line to check out in Sam's, we're going to be there for the long haul. You better not be in a hurry. It will test this rest thing in you. But see, here's the thing. We should be living our lives with margin. Because Jesus wants to show up everywhere we go. And if we have every second scheduled in our lives, we will be a slave to hurry. There will be no room to stop and pray for the person limping through the grocery store. There will be no grace for the person who can't get it together in front of you, whose card is declined 16 times. There will be nothing happening in you that is grace and mercy and connection to Jesus. We were designed to live with margin so that he can show up in our lives because we're the church, because we have the good news, because people need it. And if every second of my life is scheduled, I will be a slave to hurry. I will be a tyrant to my children and my husband, always trying to drive them out of the house on time and yelling and losing my mind because it's not happening on my schedule. But if I know I'm going to the store and there's probably going to be somebody in front of me that takes forever. And there's probably going to be a hundred thousand people at HEB today because apparently they're all moving to Midland, Texas and shopping on the day that I get there. And if I plan for it, then I can just say the kingdom of God is going to be released in this store to all the hundreds of thousands of people in my way, because I'm not in a hurry. That's refreshing. It's refreshing to go to the grocery store and not be in a hurry, especially now with all the millions of people here, because I just walk through and I smile at everyone like, oh, you just cut me off. Obviously you're in a hurry, but I am not. Please go right ahead. Take the last can of pumpkin. Jesus loves you. If there's margin in my life, then I have time to really see the people around me. When there's margin in your life, 
Pastor John can go to the grocery store for something that we just needed really fast and reconnect with a man that we ministered to who lost our number, who's back in town. If John was in a hurry, he may not have never even seen the Salvation Army bell ringer last night. Why are they out already? Anyway. <laughs> Isn't it November? Um, but see, we can miss people that Jesus has deliberately put in front of us. We can miss the people that we're intended to release peace to. We can miss the people that we're intended to connect with. We can miss showing grace to the people around us. See, we can miss God's heart for the single mom who's in front of you whose debit card is being declined every time because she doesn't have the money to buy her groceries. But if I'm in a hurry, I don't care. Because I'm just trying to get to the next thing. I'm going to close with this. There's a story of a pastor who is meeting with somebody, amazing man of God. He said, tell me the secret of what I need to, to do to just be an amazing leader, an amazing follower of Jesus. And he gets his notepad out and his pen ready. And the man says, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. So he scratches it down real quick and he says, okay, what's next? And the pastor looks at him and he says, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. He said, you already, you already said that. He said, that's it. That's it. Let's be people who live with margin so that the gospel can be released from our lives all around us. Let's be people who learn how to rest and not be so busy and caught up that we miss the restoration of Jesus in our life, that we miss encountering him, that we miss the transformation, or that we miss the people. Would you guys stand with me? Lord, We need you. Think of that old hymn, Lord, that says, I need thee. How I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Jesus, we, when we're unraveled, 
when all of our striving and all of the things that we think we should be doing are stripped away, can we say that you're enough? Can we sit in stillness and rest without striving to make it happen ourselves? Lord, would you begin to highlight every person's schedule, maybe, maybe even the busiest person in here. Lord, would you begin to show us what it looks like to create a little margin? What it would look like to not just be rushing from one thing to another thing, but to be having moments where we can be present with every person in front of us. Lord, I thank you that your, your rest restores us, but when we walk in rest, we refresh others. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you have already paid for our victory. That you have already made provision. That you have already paid for every disease and sickness and pain on the cross. And therefore, we can rest in your finished work. And we declare, Jesus, that you are enough. You don't, you don't need me. I don't need the cross and me working for it. Lord, thank you for teaching us how to use the weapon of rest and aligning it with all of the other weapons that you've given us, Lord, how we use worship and how we use your word and how we use remembering at the communion table and we come before you. But Lord, move your church to be people of rest, to be people who are not in a hurry. Lord, show us what it looks like to just ruthlessly eliminate hurry in our lives. Slow us down. I just speak right now to your soul and your mind and say, be still in Jesus' name. Lord, let this kind of just soak in deep. Keep this on the forefront of our mind as we try to walk this out in our everyday life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. We have lunch. You don't need to hurry to get down there, but there's plenty of...